Well, today we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in our year-long journey through the Gospel of John. So if you have a copy of the Bible, I'd ask you to open up to the book of John. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a copy, you're welcome to uh, use the one in the seat back in front of you. You can actually take that with you as our gift to you today. Um, we looked last week at what's called the epilogue. It's the opening 18 verses of John chapter 1. And many people think this might be an old ancient hymn that was passed down just celebrating the deity of who Jesus is. Some people don't think that that's the case because of the verses that I actually skipped over last week that we're going to pick up today. It's John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and also 15. Listen to what it says. It says in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. His name, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. In verse 15, it says this, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. The Gospel of John introduces this person named John. And you can make an easy mistake. You could think that the author is talking about himself in third person. But actually, the author of John introduces to us this man named John, who we've commonly known as John the Baptist. All four Gospels record lots of details about the life of John, but let me share a few that are found actually in Luke's account. First of all, there was this priest named Zechariah who was married to a woman named Elizabeth. They were described as being righteous in God's sight, as being blameless according to the law. They were childless because Elizabeth was barren and not able to have a child, and they were old. I don't know what old means, but that gets younger and younger every year. You know what I'm saying? Well, it says once when Zechariah was offering burning incense in the temple that an angel appeared to him. Listen to what Luke describes happened in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. It says, an angel appeared to him and he was startled and gripped with fear. Now, if I was mowing my yard and an angel appeared, that might be an understatement of how I might respond, like gripped with fear. But the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people to Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When Zechariah heard that good news, he kind of questioned the angel, like, how would I know this is going to happen? And the angel said, from this point forward until the baby's born, you're not going to be able to speak or make a noise. And that actually happened. And so when the baby was born, all of the relatives and all of the neighbors and friends gathered around to help name the child. And they were suggesting that this child should be named Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth, the mom said, no, we're going to name him John. And they're like, that's kind of weird. You don't have a John in your family. You should name him after his father. And so Zechariah asked for something to write with and something to write on. And he writes down, his name is John. 
And when that happened, his mouth opened up again and he was able to speak and he immediately began praising God. Everybody that saw this was like blown away. In fact, Luke 1 says this, everyone who heard this wondered about it and asked, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now, before you just chalk this up to some really cool birth story that are very common in the Bible, I don't want you to miss this. Check this out. For 400 years, the word of God had not been heard. There was no prophecy that it happened for 400 years. It was this silent period from God. And the only thing that the people of God were able to hold out hope was, is that the last word spoken was that there would be this one who would come, a promised Messiah, and that Messiah would bring deliverance. And that hope held on like a little flickering light in the midst of all of this silence. And just like the arrival of a baby named John, like broke the silence of his father, Zechariah. So another baby that was born who was named Jesus, or as we learned last week, named the word, broke God's silence and brought deliverance. And while there's really no biblical evidence that, that John and Jesus hung out as a baby, we know their, their parents or their mothers were cousins. And it's likely that they would have spent lots of time together because Jewish families were tight. But regardless, these two men's lives are inseparable. And that's really what sets the context for where we pick up today in Luke chapter one, verse 19. By this point, John is now 30 years old. And while he comes from a priestly lineage, there's no evidence or information that assumes that, that John was a priest, but he had a strong calling from the Lord. Verse six says this, he was sent from God as a witness to testify to who Jesus is so that through him all might believe. John had began preaching in the wilderness and his message was one of repentance for all people. It was also a message of judgment to the religious leaders of the day. There were great crowds that were following uh, John and, and he began baptizing people in the Jordan River. That's where he gets his name. It would probably be better described as John the baptizer than John the Baptist, because then you might think that he's associated with some ecumenical expression of faith. John the baptizer. Baptism was not unfamiliar in the first century. Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism would often immerse themselves as a sign of purification, a, a transition that was happening in their life. The Old Testament priest were known to practice many uh, ritual uh, ceremonies and, and, and bapt, uh, uh, washing. Baptism, as a, just in general definition, is this. Baptism is the general act of immersing or dipping an object in the process of purification. It's symbolic of transformation or transition, especially moral or spiritual repentance. Baptism still serves as a great way for you and I to identify with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. John baptizing at the Jordan River had all kinds of links to prophecies in the Old Testament. It was seen as a threshold experience, as ushering in God's kingdom, as bringing the, the, the salvation history of Israel to a climax. Something big was happening. And so the religious leaders thought, we better go check this out. 
I mean, they were not ignorant to the prophecies about Messiah. And so them, as a, a body of people, their main responsibility was to go and investigate any claims of a prophet or any claims specifically of Messiah. Before John the Baptist and plenty after him, many people declared that they were the Messiah. And so the religious leaders made up of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Levites, the priests, maybe groups of people you're familiar with, maybe not. Their number one job was to make sure that these claims were accurate. What's crazy is they probably traveled 20 to 30 miles by foot or by slow animal up 3,000 feet elevation to check out John's claims. So look what happens in verse 19. It says this, this is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. John's response to their question, are you the Messiah, is very emphatic. He says, no, I am not the Messiah. John says it's a confession of truth. The, the priests and Levites, they were a little puzzled by John's response. They actually expected him to say, yep, that's me. I'm the Messiah. Many people before him, certainly people after him would do the same. But John says, I'm not the Messiah. Their questioning continued because if John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah, then who was he? Was he a fulfillment of some other person that was prophesied to arrive before Messiah? Maybe somebody like Elijah. The last prophecy recorded in the Old Testament before this 400 years of silence is actually recorded by Malachi in chapter four, verses five and six. It says this. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Can you see why others thought John might be Elijah? Because those words of that prophecy are very similar to what the angel said to Zechariah about the baby to name, be named John. Now, John the Baptist was also described as kind of dressing weird. He kind of dressed like the prophet Elijah as described in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. He wore camel skins and a leather belt. He also ate weird food. He ate locusts and wild honey. Now, John was not making a new fashion statement. He wasn't introducing some trendy diet. Actually, those things served to prove that he was a fulfillment of a prophecy that he would be the one who would come to usher in the arrival of the Messiah. It speaks of, of John's purpose and role to play. Now, Jesus, one time when he was asked who John the Baptist was, Jesus actually said, well, he's Elijah. He wasn't meaning literally he was Elijah. In the context of that, he was saying this person plays a significant role. He was speaking to the fulfillment of John the Baptist and his role. Verse 21 John denies that he's Elijah. He even denies he's some other prophet that, that Moses predicted in Deuteronomy 18, 15. His responses were getting a little more impatient, a little more curt. He's like, I'm not, G I'm not Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not this prophet. And so those who had came said to him, well, like we're kind of running out of guesses. Can you help us out? I mean, who are you? We've got to go back and tell the people in Jerusalem. John didn't miss a beat in declaring who he is. 
He was a little hesitant to talk about himself because he knew his job was actually to talk about somebody else. He says this, John 1, 23, I am the one in the, of the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. This was a prophecy from Isaiah and described the calling that God had given John the Baptist. All four gospels record that John made this declaration about himself. It's as if John is saying, if you wanna know my job description, my, my role, well, Isaiah has written it. I'm sure he had studied this passage as a young boy, a young Jewish boy, and I kind of picture that his parents had kind of retold this story over and over about his birth and what his role was to play. John knew confidently that he was a vessel chosen by God with one purpose, and that was to point people to Jesus. Have you ever had an identity crisis? You ever kind of wondered or been perplexed about why you were created, what your purpose here is on earth? I had a friend named Don and he thought his name was Cut Wood until he went to kindergarten because that's all his dad ever said to him, Cut Wood. He just thought that was his first and last name. When I was growing up in Kentucky, uh, we lived out in the rural part of my city. And so we did not have a sewer system. We actually had a septic tank system. For those of you who maybe grew up in the city, let me describe what a septic tank system was. A septic tank system is a large container in your backyard underground where all the waste from your house ends up. Now, gravity does its job and so all the solid waste kind of settles to the bottom and all the liquid waste kind of separates at the top. And then that liquid distributes itself out into the backyard through a series of distribution boxes. Every once in a while, your septic tank or your distribution box gets a clog. That's not a good day, okay? I remember one fall afternoon, my dad said, I need your help. And we went into the backyard and our distribution box had a clog, which meant we had to dig off the dirt that was on top of it, open the lid and begin pumping out whatever we found in that distribution box. I was my dad's apprentice that day. And we were using a small liquid pump and the pump had two holes in it. The first hole was used to pouring water to prime the pump. And the second hole was to attach a hose so that when the pump caught, all the things in the distribution box would go out the hose. I had one job. I was to stick the hose in the hole when the pump caught. Let me just say it this way, I missed the catch. My dad was pouring water and the pump caught. And before I could get the hose in the hole, everything in that distribution box covered me from head to toe. The only thing I remember after that moment was running right into the house, getting in the shower fully clothed and then brushing my teeth about a hundred times. I had one job, right? One job that was to put the hose in the hole, right? John the Baptist had one job, point people to Jesus. I'm sure glad that John the Baptist was much better at his one job than I was that day in our backyard, right? John knew that he was a forerunner to Jesus, a witness. He was announcing the coming of Messiah. You could say that John was a highway builder. That's actually what he says about himself back in Luke, this time in chapter three. He's quoting that prophecy of Isaiah when he says this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. 
Every valley should be filled in, every mountain made and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. Paul Lingi is our counseling pastor here at Crossroads. He and his family served as missionaries in Tajikistan. And he told me about a story when the president of Tajikistan wanted to visit a veteran who actually lived in his neighborhood. A couple weeks before the arrival of the president, this crew showed up in their neighborhood and they began filling in all the potholes. They began like repaving all the streets of the neighborhood because the president was making an appearance. John, in the same way, was working to make the roads smooth for the coming King Jesus. He was calling people to repentance. With repentance behind them, their lives would now be open to receive the presence of Jesus as well as God's Holy Spirit that Jesus would be bringing. John was building a road not for men to get to God, but for God to get to men. John knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. If Jesus was the word, then John was the voice. The gospel of John characterizes John the Baptist as really the embodiment of this prologue we looked at last week. As the word is spoken, it's spoken through John and it's carried to the people who desperately need to hear it. And John says, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not some unnamed prophet. He was rather the fulfillment of the ushering in of the kingdom of God and the climax of Israel's salvation story. You know, John was something of a problem to the religious establishment. His pilgrimage was not necessarily through the official channels. And despite his unorthodox preparation and lifestyle, there was one thing that was clear. God was at work in him. Listen to what their next line of questioning was in John chapter one, verse 24. It says this, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John replied, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. If John wasn't the Messiah, Elijah, or some prophet, then the Pharisees felt like he should not be baptizing. They were concerned about the faithfulness to the Jewish law. So they had serious problems with John's practice of baptism. There are many in our world still today who want to debate the legality of baptism. And they go to one or two spectrums. Over here, it's people who say, you know, baptism is really not that important. Get around to it if you want to. And over here is in a further extreme. It's like, those are people who say that baptism is essential. Well, John's motives were pure. His actions were purposeful. His purpose was to obey God's call in his life and to prepare people to receive and believe in Jesus. While others were confused who John the Baptist was, he was confident of who God had called him to be. While others didn't know who John was, he knew who Jesus is. And he seems to indicate that right there in their midst that day, Jesus was standing there, but they didn't know it. John's response is one of humility. He says, I'm not worthy to untie the straps of even the sandals of the Messiah. You know, in the ancient world with dirt roads and sandals as the commonplace footwear, Feet got dirty and stinky pretty fast. 
And so because rabbis did not get paid for what they did, often their disciples would perform a lot of menial tasks to help them out. However, the law forbid a disciple to take off the shoes of the rabbi or to wash the feet because that was a, such a menial task, only slaves could perform that. So John says, I'm not worthy to even be a slave of this person named Messiah. John had a humble response. He could have been the original author to the Casting Crown songs that says, I'm, not, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who can save your soul. John says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not who, is, uh, who, 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 who Jesus is. I just recognize Jesus for who he is. John is pointing people to Jesus and he keeps doing it the next day. Let's continue in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed to Israel. And John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man who you see the spirit come down and remain on, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John had a particular way of looking at himself and at looking at Jesus. The way he looked at it himself saying, I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals, that seems really soft and humble. But the way he declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's loud, that's bold, that's confident. For every second that John looked at himself, he took an hour or more to look at Jesus. As a result, John became a bold, immeasurably strong, courageous, fearless person who proclaims the truth about who Jesus is. He was a witness. You know, another theme that we'll capture in the, the book of John, it, it revolves around these three words, witness, testify, believe. The author, John, uses the word witness 14 times in John. Matthew doesn't use it at all. Mark uses it three, Luke uses it one. This other word, testify, 33 times in the book of John, you keep hearing these moments where people are testifying to who Jesus is. But overwhelmingly, 98 times, this concept of believing in who Jesus is just takes precedent. John, as well as John the Baptist, had the same purpose in writing and ministering, that all men might believe in Jesus. So what does John the Baptist point to about Jesus that we should hold on to? This is a great moment to pick up your journal and to write down these truths that John is revealing about who Jesus is so that we could embrace them in our heart and remember and hold on to. The first thing that John the Baptist says about who Jesus is is this. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice that John didn't say a Lamb of God. He said the Lamb of God. As you read through the book of John, you'll see several references to lamb. And it might make you think like, why is John you know, contrasting or, or comparing Jesus to a lamb? There were several lambs in the Old Testament that were kind of prominent. 
The first lamb was probably the uh, Passover lamb, the lamb that was cut and, and the blood was taken and put over the doorpost. And when that happened, God's, the death angel passed over that house where the people of God lived. Another lamb that we see prominent in the Old Testament is in Isaiah 53, where the prophet Isaiah talks about God's suffering servant and describes him as a lamb. Whatever John has in mind that he's referencing, I think it's important to notice that the source is the same. He's the lamb of God. You could say he's the lamb from God. Why would God call Jesus a lamb who takes away the sin of the world? I mean, the Old Testament sacrifices were a bull was more prominent. If you think about that moment where the day of atonement, where all the sins were placed on an animal to take it away, that animal was a goat. Daily sacrifices required lambs, but those never were seen as an atonement for sin. So why would John say the lamb of God? Well, John uses a specific word, it's amnos. And that specific word is talking about a sacrificial lamb. I learned something about lambs this past week in my study that I did not know. Lambs do not buck their murderer. They don't kick or bite or scratch or even try to run away when somebody is there to slaughter them. They just kind of lay there and let it happen voluntarily. Isn't that interesting that that's the comparison that God and John the Baptist and others make of our Savior, that he's the Lamb of God and he takes away the sins of the world. Can you see the significance and the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 in that picture of the Lamb? Without any exception, John speaks definitively of Jesus' purpose and his power. He's the Lamb of God and he takes away the sins of the world. There's no sin too heinous, no wickedness too terrible. There's no habitual failure too repetitive that the blood of our lamb, the lamb of God, cannot take away. He takes away the sin of the entire world. That's important to remember. The second thing that John the Baptist points to about Jesus is that he's the Messiah. The original word means anointed one. When our youngest child, our third, our, our third child, Kendall, wanted to be baptized, she, she brought that conversation up to us, began asking questions. And so we talked with her. We tried to explain what it meant to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, to follow him and to be baptized. And, and so we had lots of conversations and she kind of felt like, I'm ready to take this step. And so we scheduled our, our family to be come in and be part of that. And uh, that evening came. And I remember her and I both going down into the water. And I looked at her in the eyes. I said, are you ready to do this? And she said, yeah, I'm ready. And so I took her confession of faith. And then I lowered her down into the water and I brought her back up. And as soon as she came out of the water, her eyes were as big as softballs. I'd even say they were as big as basketballs. She just is staring me in the face. And she says to me, I'm still here. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she said, you're still here. And I said, yeah. She said, dad, I thought when I got baptized, I got to go to heaven. And I said, well, honey, because you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're baptized, you get to go to heaven. She said, I thought I was going now. And I quickly thought, man, like I must have missed a few things in this whole explanation, right? <laughs> but ever since then, I've just thought about that moment. Here's an eight-year-old girl who was willing to give away the rest of her life to say goodbye to her mom and dad and everything she knew about life that would be to 
place her faith and trust in Jesus and go immediately to heaven. She still went through with it. That's a powerful moment. I think it was a powerful moment when John the Baptist got to baptize Jesus. He tells the Pharisees and others who would ask him, that was the moment when he knew that Jesus was truly the Messiah. Like I said, we don't know if John the Baptist and Jesus hung out as kids, but in that moment when he got to baptize Jesus, when he came up out of the water, something happened that caught his attention. Actually, all three of the other gospels record the actual event of Jesus' baptism, but John doesn't. The other three say all the same facts, that it happened at the Jordan River, that it was John the Baptist who did it, that when it happened, they went under the water, came back up. It says that there was a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And they all mentioned that there was a dove that came down, landed on Jesus and remained on him. And that's the most significant thing that John picks up and talks about. Because he said this, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, that when you see the spirit come down and remain on that person, that's him. That is the Messiah. And John the Baptist is like, dude, my old cousin, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the one. I'm sure of it because I saw it happen with my own eyes. And I testify to you, he is the Messiah. It connects Jesus with the Old Testament salvation story. And it also proves that he's the fulfillment of those prophecies about Messiah. John says that Jesus is the one who the Holy Spirit has descended on and remains. He's the Messiah. And, in, and that spirit uh, confirms who Jesus is and it empowers him to do the ministry God's called him to. And John says, when the spirit comes on him, he will baptize with the spirit. Now that's gonna take us a little bit of time to unpack. So let me begin this weekend by saying this. John baptized with water, but Jesus baptized with the Spirit. Baptism with the water seems to be something of the physical nature, but baptism by the Spirit is, is of the Spirit. I think John is saying, I kind of deal with the external, but the Messiah deals with the internal or with the eternal. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not really just something that you feel or just something that happens to you in an experience, but it's a change deep down inside in your soul, a change that God does himself when he breaks you loose from the family of Adam filled with sin and initiates you into the family of God. And Jesus says it will happen to all those who receive and believe in him. It's something that happens to every person who places their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ as Messiah to be saved from their sins. The spirit regenerates the soul and brings to life what's dead so that salvation can occur. From this point on, the Holy Spirit is always said to be in a person, not on a person. Jesus, as the baptizer with the spirit, means primarily that he's the one through whom we're initiated into God's kingdom and through whom we receive the life that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is all throughout the Gospel of John. And so for the rest of this year, we're going to be continuing to look at the person and the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. But look at one more thing that John the Baptist says about Jesus. He points to Jesus being the Son of God. Now, there's a critical text debate from scholars as the NIV translates this passage, the chosen one. But it's better correctly said, the Son of God. 
Regardless, this is a claim of deity. Every Hebrew knew that when somebody was called the son of something or the son of someone, it meant that they were the exact representation of that something or someone. And so when it says that Jesus is the son of God, it means that he is God himself. We hear this title given to Jesus by no one better than the father himself at Jesus' baptism when he says, this is my son and I love him and I am very, very pleased with him. This title is only used of Jesus. Jesus is called the son of God. You and I are called children of God. And Jesus brings delight to the heart of the father by doing his will and accomplishing his mission. And this statement, the son of God, you'll see throughout the rest of the book of John. You know, first it's the prologue that, that declares who Jesus is. And now we see this testimony of John the Baptist. Both have the same purpose that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John was like a reference when you apply for a job or when you try to get a loan, when renting an apartment. I mean, when you and I serve as a witness or a reference, or we take a testimony in the court of law, we're making a claim of truth. And John is emphatic that Jesus is the Messiah. He is sent as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he is the one through whom the Holy Spirit brings life and peace and, and purpose to the heart of man. And he's also reigning as the Son of God. So if all that's true, then how should we respond? How can you and I respond to what the work and ministry is of John the Baptist? Well, the first thing I think we have to do is be alert to God's call on our life. Tomorrow, we as a country celebrate one of the most powerful, the most influential men in the history of our country, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When you look at his life and his work, you cannot misunderstand that he knew what his one job was. He knew what his purpose was. He knew why he was created. He knew what he was living for. And he also was willing to die for it. John the Baptist as well knew what his one purpose in life was. The fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. He was the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. His one job was to shine the light of Jesus, was to point people to Jesus. Every person who follows after Jesus has that same one job. John declares, I'm not the light. I'm just a witness to the light. Tim Keller describes John the Baptist as a mirror. And he says this, a mirror has no light of its own. A mirror is nothing but darkness if it faces darkness. It's a light only if it faces the light and then it becomes a glorious thing. If you're having an identity crisis, you gotta wonder if you're worth it or if you have purpose and meaning or if there's any reason to live. Let me tell you that when you see the light of Jesus and begin reflecting his light, you're glorious. You find fulfillment in that one job for which you were created. So John recognized and realized that even though he came after Jesus chronologically, Jesus was much more important theologically. And his best contribution can be our best contribution to the world and to the kingdom of God, to prepare the way for Jesus to enter people's lives. We are a way maker for Jesus, just like John the Baptist was. It's always been God's way. 
But he wants to speak to a person that he sends another person to testify to the light of Jesus. Maybe that's why you're in the marriage you are or in the family you are. Maybe the reason you work at this certain place or you're in a certain class on a team in a band. Or maybe that's why God places you in the longest line at the supermarket so that you'll have plenty of time to tell that person behind you or in front of you just who Jesus is. So don't miss your opportunity. Respond to the call that God has placed on you for that one job. Point people to Jesus. You know, there's a couple around Crossroads that I think live this out really well. It's John and Sally Bagby. They've been around Crossroads for a long time. But for the last 18 years, they have faithfully led a class that we call Salvation, Baptism, and Communion class. It's really designed for parents to take their children to who are asking questions about being baptized or taking communion or what salvation's all about. And so they unpack those truths and, and point people to Jesus in that class. What's really cool is almost 750 children have participated in that class over these 18 years. Even cooler than that is I know a set of parents who took their child because she was asking questions about that. And after the class, all three of them accepted Christ and ended up being baptized in the water of baptism. You know, maybe you're a parent here today and your child's been asking you some of these questions and maybe you don't feel confident in what those answers are. I'd encourage you to take John and Sally Bagby up on their offer. Next, uh, March 1st and 8th is the next class. It's a two week class. And what you should be prepared for is that John and Sally Bagby are just simply going to point your child and maybe yourself to Jesus. You know, that's why we're encouraging you to participate in Awaken Evansville. Just another opportunity for you and I to be the light of Christ. Simply by, first of all, knowing who our neighbors are. Second of all, praying fervently for them. You don't have to pray for every person in Evansville for 30 days. That felt a little fuzzy in the video. You just have to pray for maybe five or 10 people who live in your neighborhood near you. Pray for them for 30 days and watch what God does. And look for opportunities to point them to Jesus. I think there's one more thing you, you and I have to do based on who John says Jesus is, is that we have to be open to God's revelation to us. God may have placed someone in your life to point you to Jesus, to prepare a way for Jesus to come into your life. So be ready and open to hear the testimony from others who are sent to you. Keep an open mind and heart as you listen to teaching, as you read scripture daily, as you study in your small group, as you listen to Christian music. God is speaking. He wants to reveal himself to you, so don't miss him. And when he tells you who he is and what he wants to do in your life, obey. John the Baptist, his whole life, pointed to the truth and the worthiness that Jesus was who he said he is that he is the one promised as Messiah, that he is Jesus. God sent John as another testimony so that you and I could believe in Jesus. He witnessed the truth so that you and I could believe the truth. Just a few moments, I'm gonna pray. And after we pray, uh, we're just gonna sing a song that's a response to what we've learned today. It's the song we sang earlier and that we learned last week. It's a song, All Hail King Jesus. And I love the song because it does two things. The first thing it does, it just reminds us of who Jesus is by telling his story. And then second of all, it gives us a chance to respond to that truth. And really the only response that really is correct is just to say, 
all hail King Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful that you sent John the Baptist. He dressed crazy. He ate crazy things, but he was not crazy. He was deliberate, purposeful. He clearly understood what his one job was, and he did it well. He was not perfect. He had questions along the way, but it's because of his testimony, another testimony that we can understand just how significant and important who Jesus is. And God, I know in my own life, I need a lamb who can take away my sin. And I'm grateful that you provided that in Jesus. God, I need to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one, that you've been faithful to your promises. You gave your, your only son to fulfill that promise. And so there's not a promise you will not fulfill. And God, I need the spirit in my life. And I'm grateful that through Jesus, I can have the presence of you in my life and the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me because of your grace and your gift of the Holy Spirit. And God, I just declare that your son is the reigning Lord of the world, that he is the only one who is worthy of our worship. And he should be the only one who reigns in our heart. And so God, Thank you for sending John to, to point us to him. And God, I pray that as we embrace those truths, that would so drastically and radically change who we are, that we would not miss the opportunity just to reflect that light to a world that seems so dark, that we would not fail at our one job, and that's just to point people to your son, Jesus. And I pray as they see him, that they would be drawn to him as well. And I pray that through his name, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.